Hello and welcome to the next episode of Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we'll focus on a particular movie and while we talk about that movie and our review of that movie, hopefully we'll kick us into a larger theme about movies, about culture, um, about discussions and things we can rant over. Um, we'll always end with some recommendations based on the various ideas we've come across in that discussion and we'll begin by introducing ourselves so who are we so i am rob maythorn i am a filmmaker and photographer i spent the last 10 years or so working in the british film industry working on all manner of productions uh, my colleague and my uh, my co-host is sam b knowles a uh, highly decorated and highly qualified lecturer in english he lectures on books movies pop culture and all things of that ilk. He uh, studied, I believe, at Cambridge. I did, yeah. And currently has a master's from Leeds, I believe. Well, PhD, but PhD. There you go. Hang on. Who's 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 counting as far? Lots of qualifications. Yeah. He's the smart one. <laughs> um. So, uh, the film this week was my choice. Um, and I went for Inside Out. This is the latest film from from Pixar after successes with Toy Story, pretty much all of them, and finally Nemo and The Incredibles. Um, and the aforementioned were all before Pixar was bought out by Disney, and there was sort of a, a second wave of Pixar films post the Disney amalgamation, which started um, not particularly. Yeah, it wasn't a great start because their first film was Cars, no, mm. but it it went it, it went up uphill from that. Um, I I like Ratatouille, which is the next one, um, and there there have been various other films in the years since that we'll talk about. Um, this is uh, Inside Out was directed by Pete Doctor. Um, it's about an eleven year old girl called Riley. Um, it was four years in the making. Um, it was initially... It came out of Doctor's own experiences um, as a child, and then those were brought back to him by his own daughter being of that age and having trouble dealing with a, a change, a big life change, in the way that Riley does in this film. Um, um, so it's... It's an eleven-year-old girl called Riley, and the anthropomorphized emotions that live in her brain. You have joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear, who influence Riley's actions and her moods and memories. Um, joy is probably the most famous name. It's voiced by Amy Poehler. The others seem to be um, more more recognisable voice actors, but not necessarily big Hollywood names. Um, and the the premise of the film is that joy and sadness get separated from the others at a particularly psychologically troubling time for Riley and the film is about their attempt to journey back to headquarters it's what they call Riley's psychic centre in time to stop an emotional disintegration Rob, your thoughts? I really quite liked Inside Out um, it was... I'm not overly particularly a what I'd call a fanboy of Pixar. 
I'm, I'm not I'm not a lover a, a, a worshipper at their uh, at their altar. Uh, I haven't liked some of their films, but that being said, I really did like this one. Hmm. I thought that it was very clever. I think that it handled a lot of I suppose biochemistry and neurology and all the kind of the workings of the brains quite well. It handled why you dream, why you forget things, why things have, like, as they, they put it, core memories, things that influence your personality. Mm-hmm. And the the descent of Riley as the main character through a depressive period, whether it's depression or not is up for debate, but a depressive period is beautifully handled in that I really enjoyed the fact that there wasn't really a cause and effect. Mm. You couldn't look at the, the, uh, the, the numbskulls, or sorry, the emotions, um, I think, well, they've caused that, or are they reacting to the stimulus outside? So there was a nice kind of interplay there. Mm. And I thought it was very inventive in the way that it handles long-term storage of memories, imagination land, dreams, all that kind of paraphernalia of, of the psyche, I thought it handled very well. Mm. I think that I had a few issues with um, some of the characters. I thought it was kind of a little too obvious in its attempt to pull on our heartstrings uh pixar movies are infamous for kind of having an emotional moment emotional core you can talk about the opening to up we can talk about the um toy story 3 incinerator scene um large parts of wally it always renowned for having an emotional moment and there's a very clear one in this in which we're supposed to clearly well up and have an emotional reaction and it felt too telegraphed and it felt too cynically put in there for my personal tastes mm-hmm. um but i did well we all know you're dead inside that's we all know i'm dead inside um but aside from that i really did like it i thought it was beautiful beautiful um and just while we're talking about it i saw it at the cinema and i thought at all pixar films you do get a a short before it mm. um and i think it was called lava song i think it was called yes uh and it's a bit it's a a song about two volcanoes that fall in love and it was beautiful and I probably had more of an emotional reaction to that short film than I did to the entire of this film but I don't mean that but I really did enjoy it yeah um my my reaction pretty much echoed yours I thought it was there were there were bits of it that were very good um I didn't dislike the telegraphed emotional moment as much as he did um, I thought the end was very good and the beginning was very good and it got a bit baggy in the middle so it could have lost about half an hour in the middle which would have made it a very short film um, there, there were as you say I think, I think clever is the word that comes out of it um, mm. this idea of um, when you mention what happens to memories and long term storage and then the idea of abstract thought as well and there's a sequence where joy and sadness go through abstract thought um, I thought that, that was really interesting um, and the, I, I think the, the big positive the, the major positive about this and it's something that we, we talked about discussing further this week is the idea of stereotypes and how Riley is very definitely not an 11 year old girl stereotype in the way that so many Hollywood open inverted commas princesses have been. Mm. Um, and that's something that 
and that's that's a huge positive for this film, and also something that has been um, moving forward in animation, certainly since I mean since I was watching animation as a child. Um, but I think that's a huge positive. She's sporty. She doesn't get put in dresses, and also one one of the one of the big things about gender politics is that it can often you can often make a big thing of it, and that's even if I agree with you, it's almost as tiring hearing someone talk about it as it is someone being. It, it, it's like some someone ranting about it is almost as annoying as as the the fact that stereotypes exist. Um, and I thought it was it was really good how they just made nothing of this and got on mm. with it. Um, and I thought lots of the I mean there there are little negatives to this, and I said the the pacing's a bit off, and maybe some of their sentimentality could be um, less choreographed. But I think lots of those negatives. I, I would just say they're counteracted by this huge positive. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree. I think that on on balance, I wildly enjoyed the film. Mm. I mean, it, it, I, I am pointing at niggles here. It was an enjoyable film. It made me laugh. It whilst it made me cry, it certainly did have an emotional reaction from me. Um, these are niggles I'm talking about, mm. and uh, and at a certain point, I am aware that I probably I'm not the average movie punter between doing this podcast having done a film degree and working in the industry i i watch a film with different eyes to say the general punter mm. um so i suppose a lot of my reviews should be taken with a pinch of salt because they come from a certain point of view yeah. but i think no yeah. <laughs> um i do think that you're right it does some interesting things with stereotypes and i think that it's very clever in the way it does that because Stereotypes, by by their very nature, tend to be a bit one-dimensional. They tend to be a bit kind of plain and standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The very nature of making sure that in a child's mind there are these five competing emotions, or even competing, but even so, they aren't competing. They are kind of who they are and they interact. And then even if you look a little wider at the parents, now the dad could have been a little bit of a you know a stereotype of the busy unconcerned father Mm. but you see brief moments inside his head in which he's got all five emotions too um yes i think in his in his head it appears that the leader is anger rather than joy Mm. and i think in in the mum's head sadness is the leader versus joy but i think that that really did some great work to kind of subvert those stereotypes that even in that character that could be a bit of a stock character possibly there is by the nature of the movie, by the nature of the very setup of the movie, depth. Mm. I I love those bits with other characters' emotions and the mum and dad, and then it will, even at the end we have the the emotions present in in everyone else's heads. Mm. Um, but particularly that that sequence with the mum and dad and Riley and the argument at the dinner table. I thought that was brilliantly handled. I hadn't noticed that that it was. It was different emotions taking the lead, um, mm. but I, I did like, I like the fact that there was that that depth to these characters. It's something that, I th- is it's not something that you pick up on a first watch, or you necessarily pick up as a as a six year old being introduced to Pixar for the first time. But would you be introduced that old? Anyway, I'm getting 
getting sidetracked. But they they foregrounded the idea of this dimensional nature of stereotypes in that sequence that I mentioned where they go into abstract thought and the emotions literally become two-dimensional and mm. then one-dimensional. And then they pop back up again. So th- this is this is a it's a concern of Pete Doctor. Doctor, he's not called Doctor. He's called Doctor. Um, Doctor is an author. Something else entirely. Yes, something else entirely. Uh, <laughs> hang on, can I can I just pause and and notice the fact that y- you you made a literary reference? I know. We all bad out to that. Clearly, you're dragging me down to level. <laughs> yeah, I th- I thought. Um, there, there are lots of ways that this film plays with the idea, the idea of depth. One, one of the, one of the really, really important things I think was the way that more emotions got added as she got older, mm-hmm. and the console develops as she gets older. So, as she becomes a more complex human being, in the outside world, her, her inner life becomes more complicated. You, yes, you see that at the, at the end. Well. Not, not, not to give spoilers at all, but th- there is there is a development at the end in in her visual landscape. So that yes. that that is ma- that that inner development matches an outer development. That I thought was really good. I think Pixar as a whole does great work with stereotypes. I mean, I said obviously this one with the nature of seeing the inside world of a character, which is obviously quite unusual. You. Aside from that, they do do great work with to adding stare beyond that. So look at something like Up. And Up is, I think, one of my favourite Pixar films. Mm. But the character, the main character of Up, is a grumpy old man um, who, yes, goes through the arc of learning to love this kid and love his life. But he never feels like a stereotype. And I suppose the other great example of this is Toy Story. Mm. Like Toy Story very much opens up with almost mythically iconic characters, the stock character of the cowboy and the spaceman. The very nature of them being toys means that they are mass-produced stock characters. Mm. And Pixar's sort of attempt to give everything a secret life really rounds them out, and you get the, the, the insecure cowboy who feels he's losing his touch, and then you get Buzz coming to terms with the fact that he isn't really a space ranger. And I think that Pixar does, has always done a great work about subverting those stereotypes. I mean, monsters, the whole Monsters, Inc. series is based on the idea that monsters aren't scary. Mm. Um, and subverting those ideas of what, what we expect from our stock characters and from our stereotypes. I mean, looking a little bit wider, I do think it's worth noting that there is a slight difference between what I call stock characters and stereotypes. Yes, and this is something that you get with drama in general, is the idea of the use of stock characters, but using stock characters to explore situations, explore emotional resonances in a way that yeah. opens things up for people. So yeah, I think I think you're right, there's stock characters can be very useful and my coming down on this idea of stereotypes and suggesting that Pixar's moving beyond this is not um it's not a criticism of this idea of using of using stock characters at all. Mm, there was a a medieval medieval drama movement. Um, I'm trying to think what it was called, but it's it, it, uh, it escaping currently. That was all based around stock characters, very similar to Punch and Judy. We go into it knowing what all the characters are, and all the people watching it would know what those characters are. 
but they used that um, sort of stock characters to do new things. Uh, Commedia dell'arte, so that's what it is. Commedia dell'arte. Yes, um, I was thinking theatre is observed, but that's something different. Um, um, and I think films can make great use of stock characters. So you can use like the grumpy teacher, the lonely old woman, the uh, the blonde, chilly to high school kid. You can use that stock character to do something interesting with it. Mm. And I think that's different to a stereotype. In my mind, a stereotype is what I, what I call lazy filmmaking. But when you have a blonde, bubbly cheerleader who does nothing with that, that's boring. Yeah, that's that's thousands of ninety comics, um, ninety nineties movies. This, but this this is where to bring it back to your favourite film. This is where something like Clueless works really well. I was that, thinking the same thing. That it is. This is ostensibly a stereotype, and yet that is. That is undercut throughout the narrative. I think that, it, uh, to reference it again, the dad in Clueless is a great example. Now, dad in Clueless is a very hard-working, very high-powered lawyer, LA lawyer. And that's a very clear stock character that we all understand. Mm. But they subvert it with his care for his daughter and his care for his stepson and all that. And I think that it's important to, we're talking about this, distinguish between the two things. I think stock characters can be used to great effect. Stereotypes tends to be lazy filmmaking, and I think you, you don't. You, I mean, it's it's not hard to seek out a stereotype in any films, especially if you look at any kind of um, sort of representation of. Not, I hate to use the phrase, but of um, of any kind of representative minority. Mm. So, women, table people, gay people, um, black people tend to suffer far worse from stereotypes yeah um i think we um if you look at uh even Jurassic world the other week the main character claire at times was very much stereotyped she was the uptight woman who needed to learn the importance of the family mm. and that's a character we've seen thousands of times and it wasn't that they took that idea and did something different with it it was a film based on stereotypes yes and the, the 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 pernicious thing with stereotypes is that um, two people can be stereotyped. In that film, you get um, Claire as the the stereotype in the way that you just described, and then also you have Chris Pratt's character, who is just as much of a stereotype, just in a different way. Mm. But it's far more damaging to female actors to have that sort of stereotype. I mean, Chris Pratt can just say, "Well, fine." whatever, and shrug it off. But the, the way that the... And this is something that we, we've talked about before, the way that the film industry is, it's, it's in many sectors, a very male-dominated world. Mm. Um, and that's that means that characters like Claire's can suffer from stereotyping in the way that male characters don't. And I think a lot of that comes down to, what I'd say, the lack of options. Mm. So if you look at the percentage of roles out there that are fully formed roles, stock characters or stereotypes. When you deal with women, um, black actors, especially in sort of teen comedies or any kind of, um, or either the, the, the stereotype of the gay best friend in a romantic comedy, the percentage of those roles that are available that are stereotypes is much higher. Mm. For, for, for a, a female actress to seek out interesting and unique roles that are fully formed is a lot harder it's far easier to find roles that are 
stock stereotype characters without anything interesting and nothing unusual to see. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that films serve badly. And that's one of the reasons that I really enjoyed uh, Max when we covered that was that it really felt like whilst it did have some stereotype characters in it the female representation certainly was all across the gambit and felt the opposite of a stereotype you had the old wizened uh, women you had obviously Fierosa herself and then you had the, the brides hmm. and uh, that felt complete and it was I said it was noticeable by the absence everywhere else hmm. and to bring him back to Inside Out that um, the treatment of Furiosa in Mad Max and the treatment of her disability is something you mentioned at the time but mm. that we're not even going to make a thing of this we're just going to move on it, it's not a narrative hook it's exactly the same thing you get with Riley in Inside Out that we don't make a thing of the fact that she likes hockey and doesn't like pink. It's just mm. who she is. And that was something that, that was really good about Charlize Theron's character, that it was just part of who she was and we could just get on with the film. And I, I think I, I agree. And I think that, that there was a nice bit in Inside Out, just to link to that, where the resolution, just had a bit of a spoiler here for everyone coming up, the resolution of the film was not about banishing anything from that world. Mm. Um, the resolution for film is coming to terms with the fact that you will have sadness and anger and disgust and and envy and joy in your life, and that it's not that sadness is the enemy to be banished. And you know that a, to, to subvert that stereotype, you need to have all five things in there. That if it ended up with just being joy in charge and just joy around, she would have ended as a stereotype. But by ending with all five characters there and part of the team, hmm. you feel like they're they're kind of saying, "This is how people are. People are everything. They are happy. They are sad. They are disgusted. They are angry, and everything in between." And the the and it's a mixture of those. It, it isn't like you have happy moments. Some moments you have moments that are happy and sad, and happy and angry, and all these kind of things. Hmm. A really interesting thing about that is from an interview with Pete Doctor, um, he hit a bit of a roadblock in this. Well, this this film took um, four years in the making. It was the first without Steve Jobs' input, um, but it was started in 2011. Um, and he hit a bit, bit of a roadblock, Pete Doctor, um, and the studio wanted it to be wanted the film to go in a certain direction and he wasn't happy with that and couldn't see how it was going to work out. Um, and he basically slumped into a depression of his own and just went for a walk and thought, oh my God, everything's going wrong. And that realisation that you get in Riley's head at the end of the film is a realisation that he came to. Mm. He himself thought, well... Actually, this can be part of the film. This this idea of bringing together different emotions is is what this film is about. Lovely. So, as always, Sam, we end with the recommendations. We do. Yeah. Your um, thoughts this week? Well, this this week, I it would be remiss of me to do a week talking about a Pixar film and not recommend Wall-E, which is just an amazing film. Um. And this is 
It's one one of the um, I suppose one one of the one of the films that Pixar did with Disney once they'd got into the swing of it, so post Cars, um, and Wally's a brilliant film. Not a lot of dialogue at all, but that really doesn't matter, mm. um, and it has it it's it's playing with the same idea of of emotions and of um bringing together con- apparently conflicting emotions to achieve a resolution so if you haven't seen it go and go and see Wally immediately um and my second one is it, this is my less obvious one um it's interesting but not necessarily in a good way it is just just quite interesting as a historical document um it's a short film um it's available on youtube and it really is short it's less than 10 minutes um called reason in motion um it was made in 1943 as a propaganda film um okay and the premise of this is that um was it's an american propaganda film um, and it was made. It was made to tell people that if they followed emotion and ignored reason, then they would be as bad as Hitler. And okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> gen- generally, it does does go on to talk about Hitler later on. Um, so the the last bit of it is. Um, it, it's very obviously propaganda, but the beginning has some really interesting. It, it, before it moves on to talking about how um, all all Germans are, um, they're just carried on a wave of emotion and they've lost the power of rational thought. Um, before that happens, there are some interesting interesting po- points to the film. Particularly, there's there's a bit between a man and a woman, and I thought. There's a, there's there's quite a progressive attitude for for early nineteen forties uh, films, so that that's an interesting one to check out. Not necessarily very good, as I said, but it's a particularly interesting one. It's called Reason in, Reason and Emotion. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, you've probably out obscured me this week, um, <laughs> which is a rare thing because my, my, my both recommendations are quite quite mainstream choices. Oh, right. uh, my first choice, sticking in the Pixar world. Is Toy Story three? Good film. Uh, I really enjoyed Toy Story three. I, I wasn't as keen on two, but I really liked three. Mm. I think they pulled it back. I think that it is the only Pixar film, apart from Up, to truly move me to tears. Right. Um, and that doesn't happen very often at all when it comes to me in films. But genuinely, I saw cinema and I'm weeping in the cinema. I think it's a great film. I think it's wonderfully done. I think it's for a third in the series. It's outstanding work. Mm. And I think, as we talk about that, it kind of you, the emotions that come with it are outstanding. My slightly less obvious one is the 1985 semi-cult classic Clue. Well, is this the one that's based on Clue, though? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it, it, it stars uh, Tim Curry, Christopher Lloyd, um, local people recognise, and it basically is Cluedo. So you've got Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. White, Professor Plum, Mr. Green, Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, all in a house in which a murder happens and have to solve it. Right. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of putting this in the list is that being based on the Clue board game, these are the stockiest of stock characters. 
they there's a name we all know and an image we all conjure in our heads straight off the bat of what these people what these characters are mm. and it does some work to subvert that and some work to not subvert that but i think it's a very interesting film to look at how it works with stock characters in this way and also it's a great film and it's infamous having about three or four different endings so depending on which cinema you saw it in you get a different ending to the film oh right and if you get on dvd they're like they're all on there um, but you can on the dvd pick random ending and it'll watch it and you watch it at the end has a different ending because like there's four endings um but it does some great work with taking stock characters and doing interesting things with them and it being fun mm. so i think through all of this i don't want to say that having stock character stereotypes is a bad thing entirely it can be done well it's not often done but with this it felt like it's done well and even um sort of characters like uh miss peacock or miss scarlet which may be the young uh sexual flirty character is given depth right Brilliant. Um, so that, that's my recommendation for this week. Good. This week, I believe, is not as your wife misheard you, Michael, the John Travolta film of questionable merit. Um, but my, it, my it call. is your call, yes. Uh, now, Sam and I had agreed on the film for next week, but I'm about to completely change it on him. Right. Um, and okay. I am going to watch, I recommend you watch, The Station Agent. The Station Agent? The Station Agent. The Station Agent is the story of Pete Dinklage um, as a train spotter who moves to rural New Jersey after he inherits a train station. Right. There he meets um, a couple of locals and sort of goes from there. It's very slow cinema. It's very emotional cinema. It's very in the sort of early 2000s indie mumblecore genre. Right. But it's very, very good. Okay, good. So uh, I just saw it on my collection and thought, we'll watch that. Um, so that's the film for next week, The Station Agent from 2003. Brilliant. Okay, um, we welcome your correspondence. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. Or you can find me at Rob Kaiju. Or me at Life underscore Academic. Uh, if you get a chance and you listen to this on, on iTunes, please give us a recommendation. It's really how we get in front of more eyes and more ears so more people can enjoy our random ramblings about film. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arr.